You may be seated, and I would ask that you would please pull out one of those Bibles in front of you and turn to the Gospel of Mark, the first chapter. You see, Mark does a great job of setting a stage for us, and I, I want us to follow through, and it begins before we get to this morning's text. In fact, if you turn to Mark, chapter 1, verse 1. Mark is one of my favorite Gospels, um, and he sets the stage at the very beginning. Would somebody be so kind as to read that first verse? Thank you. Stop. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the who? The Son of God. There it is. Mark has entitled his book for us. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. At the very get-go, at the very beginning, Mark proclaims for us who Jesus is. Now, somebody read verses 2 and 3, because if it's not enough that Mark sets the stage for us, we have a little bit more that comes from, from Isaiah this time. So would somebody read verses 2 and 3 out loud? Stop. Sorry, read that again. Just that last little part. There we go. So we have Mark saying, this is Jesus, this is the Son of God. And now we have Isaiah testifying and his testimony um, that is brought forward that says, prepare the way of the Lord. Now go down a little further, verses 7 and 8, if you will. Still more setting of the stage. Would somebody read verses 7 and 8, please? And who is this that's speaking? John the Baptist. Okay, so we got Mark proclaiming, Son of God. We've got a, a testimony in, from Isaiah. Now we have a testimony from John the Baptist. Now, somebody read verse 11, please. Now, who is that speaking? God, well, if that doesn't eradicate any doubts, we have, we have Mark, we have Isaiah, we have John the Baptist. Now we have God saying, look here, this is the guy. This is Jesus, my son. Now, read on, verses 12 and 13. Would somebody read those? So here we have all this testimony leading up to who Jesus is. And then in verses 12 and 13, we have a successful opposition to all the whims of Satan. I love the Gospel of Mark. We've had a whole lot happen just in 13 verses, haven't we? Jesus hasn't even spoke his first words yet. Those come in verse 15. But somebody read verse 15. We got baby Jesus finally speaking to us. There's nothing quite like those first words. Would somebody read that? Thank you, Barb. The time has been fulfilled. For the writer Mark, 
What he wants us to know that when Jesus comes into and Jesus comes upon the earth, the kingdom of God has then at that point been ushered in to our place. And, and how it is that we come to know God is we know God through this person called Jesus the Christ. So, so time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near and we are called to repent and to believe in the good news. All these things, repentance, good news, the kingdom, all these things come through Jesus the Christ. And with all of that, now our stage is set. And we have been carefully prepared, you and I, as, as hearers, as readers of the gospel, we have been carefully prepared. And all of a sudden, boom, the spotlight is now clearly set on Jesus. As hearers and readers of this gospel, we know who Jesus is and the light shines on him as hearers and readers of the gospels you and i have been prepared but nobody else has and that sets the stage for our text this morning this morning we find jesus verses 21 through 28 we find jesus where is he at what city capernaum and where is he at in capernaum in a synagogue, and what day is it? It is the Sabbath, isn't it? And what is Jesus doing in that synagogue? He's teaching. Now with Mark, teaching is very important to Mark. But if you'll notice, do we know anything about what Jesus is teaching today? We don't know squat. Nothing. No iota. We have no idea what scripture was read. We have no idea what it is Jesus was saying about that scripture. What we know is how Jesus was teaching. It's not so important to Mark as to what was being taught, but how Jesus was teaching. How was Jesus teaching this morning? With authority, and I love that. We have authority comes twice in our gospel lesson this morning. In fact, it brackets some very important things. We have Jesus teaches with authority at the beginning, and then those scribes at the end start scut scuttle button around, and they start asking, who is this? He teaches with such authority. And in the middle of that, in the middle of this authority and authority, again we have, boom, Jesus. And the spotlight is clearly set on Jesus. There is so much light on this man. Now, in this synagogue, while Jesus is teaching, somebody else is there. Who else is there? A man with an unclean spirit. And all it says in our lesson is there's a man who appears in the synagogue with an unclean spirit. Now, there are two schools of thought about this man. Either one, he shouldn't have been there from the get-go. 
because he is unclean and so he will have defiled the temple he himself is defiled and so by his very essence and presence of being in the temple he is a statement in the face of jesus he is a provocation if you will and an opposition in the face of jesus that's one way of looking at it a second way of looking at this unclean spirit is we don't know that that unclean spirit is present until the authority of Jesus is announced. It's only when Jesus teaches with authority that this unclean spirit becomes made known and is drawn out and is made presence. You see, by the authority of Jesus Christ, when the light is shown on Jesus Christ, all cleanness, uncleanness is therefore revealed. A more interesting way of looking at this, isn't it? To think about being in the presence of Jesus Christ. And in his presence, all uncleanness is revealed. You know, so often we think of uncleanness and and you and I easily want to translate as saying, well, that's evil. Okay? That's not necessarily true. Uncleanness rather is, let's see, what's the word I want to use? Um... Being at odds. It's a being at odds with God's ordering of things. An unclean spirit is one who lives at odds with God's ordering. Does that make sense to you? Now, the unclean spirit recognizes Jesus, doesn't he? And he speaks out. He says, what is it that you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Let's start with just that first part. What is it you have to do with us? That is a very common Old Testament formula, especially in the context of, uh, of judgment or, or combat. What is it that you have to do with us? Now, there are also two understandings of this phrase. What is it that you have to do with us? One is that the unclean spirit is speaking in that third person plural us and so that unclean spirit speaks for all unclean spirits and therefore as jesus calls that unclean spirit out it shows jesus authority over all unclean spirits okay the second interpretation is it could be that the unclean spirit represents the not-so-obviously-unclean, and us refers to the many of us who live within the structure of formalized religion, who often speak the name of Jesus for that unclean spirit spoke his name, didn't he? I know who you are, Jesus, whose mind and spirit is at odds with God's ordering. Hmm. 
We want to say now, the spotlight's on Jesus. Let's go back there. That's more comfortable, isn't it? Let's talk about Jesus. Let's put that spotlight back on Jesus and, and his authority. That power to know within us the ways in which we claim Jesus, the ways in which we are unclean. You see, that unclean spirit claims on the name of Jesus and declares the name of Jesus, not as a confession. That's what we would like to think, that that unclean spirit is confessing. But by the utterance of Jesus' name, what he's trying to do is take power and control from Jesus. And that is so often what you and I do, that we declare things in the name of Jesus, yet if we were to look at ourselves and at our thoughts and our minds and our direction, we are in a disorder of how God would like the world to be. This morning's lesson, we find, boom, a spotlight. And now it's not so much on Jesus. a whole lot more on us.